fans, before we begin, just a quick reminder to join our friend Billy Kegler on the Competitive Mindset Podcast, where guests share how they differentiate themselves and achieve high levels of performance through the lens of motivation, competitiveness, and mindset. Join along on the journey to lifelong learning and improved performance with the Competitive Mindset Podcast. Follow along on social media at Competitive Pod. And if you haven't done it already, please check out teachhoops.com slash 816 basketball for unbelievable coaching resources from Coach Steve Collins. He also has an extremely active Facebook community. So again, teachhoops.com slash 816 basketball. And it's not too late to help out our boy Takuma Letsum during his fight with ALS. If you go to our Twitter page at 816 basketball on Twitter, find out all the details and how you can donate to help Tack in his fight. Hello and welcome to the Greatest Games Podcast brought to you by 816 Basketball. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Rosefield, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris de Blasio. Thank you, Brian. Pleasure to be here on the Greatest Games, as always. A chance for us to catch up with basketball coaches from around the country and have them tell us about their greatest game. As always, it can be their time as a head coach, an assistant coach, a JV coach, a high school coach, a college coach, just whatever game they consider to be their greatest. You know, Chris, we always love to have guys and girls with varied experiences in their background, right? We've had coaches from all over the world now on this podcast, and this coach today, he is retired from basketball, but he has been at all levels of basketball. He's been a, well, I'll let him tell his own story, but today we have Bill Zotti. Welcome to the Greatest Games podcast, Bill. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. We have a, I believe Bill's a Jersey guy originally, right? Bill born here in the Garden State. Yes, born in the Garden State. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll make sure I talk slow because I do get kind of animated and too excited. I'm Italian, so my hands start moving pretty <laughs> quick. But uh, yeah, no, I'm a Jersey guy through and through. I've been living in Florida now for about uh, 15 years. So, uh, but I do miss Jersey. I do. Miss I will. I will mail you some pizza and bagels. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I'll give you the address. You can shoot that right down. I look forward to that. Uh, Bill, why don't you take us just a little bit quickly, if you can, through your coaching journey and, and kind of some of your highlight, some of your stops for us. Some of my, yeah, I, um, you know, I play in high school, you know, all growing up, I was involved in all kinds of sports growing up. I really, really enjoyed athletics and things like that. And, uh, you know, I knew as I got older, you know, I wanted basketball. I was probably a better football player than a basketball player, but I, I really loved basketball and I knew kind of that I'd like to stay in athletics and maybe coach. And um, I knew I couldn't play at the division one level, but I thought maybe it's, you know, I could get, stay in athletics by going to a school uh, and maybe getting involved with basketball. So that's what I ended up doing is after I graduated high school, um, I was looking at colleges and all the colleges I wanted to go to were in Florida. I wanted to go to UCF. Unfortunately, I didn't get in there. Um, So I ended up going to Seton Hall and uh, which was a great move, uh, as it turned out. And uh, I got involved with the basketball program there as a manager. That's how I got started in the profession. And uh, eventually I was a manager for three years. And then uh, I stayed with PJ another year as his video coordinator. And then after I graduated and then uh, PJ got the Portland Trailblazer job, PJ Colissimo got the Portland Trailblazer job back in the uh, early 90s there. And uh, he couldn't take any of us with him. So I stayed uh, as a video coordinator for a year with George Blaney. And then, um, you know, after a year, 
Coach Blaney was kind of like, you know, Bill, we kind of want to get our own people in there. And I understand that. That's how the business works. You know, a lot of guys want to bring their own people in. I understand that. Um, and then I uh, ended up coaching in Division Three. All my connections were Seton Hall people. I went to work with Bruce Hamburger uh, at Kane University. I worked for him. And then uh, my video background really helped me out in the fact that doing the video coordinator stuff at Seton Hall, we were one of the first programs in the country to do the video editing stuff. We had a system that was the Lafayette editing system. And it was in Lafayette, Indiana. We're the first, one of the first programs in the country to be the guinea pig to use this stuff. So I got trained on that. And uh, I did that, like I said, for two years at Seton Hall. Then I went to coach in division three. I did that with Bruce for a year. And then um, I got a phone call uh, from a buddy of mine at UMBC. Doug Nicholas had called me up and uh, Tom Sullivan had gotten a head coaching job there. He was an assistant at Seton Hall when I was there. He had gotten a head job at UMBC and they had struggled their first year there. I think they were five and 22. And Sully had all this video equipment that they had, all this crazy video equipment. And he's like, I don't, Doug, I don't know anything about this stuff, but I know a guy who does. And there, my phone rang and Doug was like, Bill, would you be interested in coming to UMBC as an assistant? Sully would like to have you come down and uh, kick it around. And I said, absolutely. Get back into Division One. I'll walk down. I'll be down tomorrow. So basically, that's what I did. And uh, that's how I got involved. You know, I started at UMBC and uh, everything really was the Seton Hall connection. Everybody I've ever, ever worked for. I became a scout down the road for the New York Liberty and the WNBA. Uh, and I got that job through Bruce, Bruce Hamburger. Again, he, is an, he was an assistant with the Liberty and they needed an advanced scout. And I was doing my grandfather's business back then. I was, I think I was out of the business or I was, I was, I think I was out. I was doing the architecture business. And uh, he was like, Bill, would you be interested in helping us out with the Liberty as an advanced scout? I was like, absolutely. So I did that for a year. And, uh, you know, at the same time I was working at FDU for Pete Marion, who was a previous guest to you guys. And I was helping him out. I was doing my architecture thing and I was helping him out part-time. And, uh, and then I did the Liberty thing. I did that for a year and then I moved down to Florida. And once I moved down to Florida at that point, there's not many, there was no WNBA teams in Florida. So I kind of, you know, got out of the, the business, but I did, when I moved to Florida, I got hooked up with the, with the Orlando magic, uh, doing camps for them all over, uh, Orlando and the uh, greater Orlando area. So I did that for about five years. And then I had my own AAU team through them. So, you know, I kept my hand in. So, just quickly uh, follow up. Uh, Bill said he worked for Pete Marion, who was guest. What episode 969 did we say? Or 79? That was episode 79, Pete. Marion. 79. And then he also knows David DeFerrari, who was episode 82, 83, somewhere in there. 84, Christine. 84. And he mentioned Bruce Hamburger, who we've been told by several people that we need to get on. And I need to get on that because literally I can look out my window and see the Rothman <laughs> Center. Uh, after you and Hackensack where Bruce Hamburger is a coach. Now I just, I literally just have to send him an email. I've had enough people say, Hey, just tell Bruce, you know me and you can get him on. So 
you can tell him that, that, that I know. Well, well, I don't know him, but yeah, shoot, shoot him an email. Let's get him. <laughs> I mean, Chris Gaskin has told me, Pete Marion's told me, you've told us now, Bill. So I'm going to drop all these names with Bruce Hamburger. Yeah, absolutely. He'll, he'll, Bruce is great. He'll come on and he's got some incredible experience. He was a member of his staff in the 89 team that went to the final four. Yeah. <laughs> so he's got tremendous, you know, he's been coaching forever. Division three, he was a cane for numerous years, at least 10 or 12 years there. And then he's been at FDU for a while now. And like I said before that, he was at uh, in the WNBA for the New York Liberty. So he's got he'd be a great guest for you guys. So hopefully, uh, you know, I try to get him on definitely because he's a good guy. He'd be a great guest for the show. We'll, we'll make that happen for sure. So, Bill, I, I'm very aware this is going to be potentially a very leading question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Uh, we love having former managers on the show. I'm a former manager. We've had a ton of former managers on the show. The work ethic that is ingrained, at least it was ingrained in me. And I believe it was probably ingrained in you and everybody else has been a student manager. I want to hear how that has served you in your career throughout all levels of basketball. Yeah, it was, I'll tell you, it was just one of the best things I ever did. And uh, I was very fortunate to get the job as a manager at Seton Hall because uh, back then when I was in school, the team was very good. And as I found out, we had nine managers nine managers and a lot of them actually every one of them had a connection to pj either this my dad knew you know all connection to pj all the managers had a connection to pj they knew his parents some connection and that's actually how i got the job is i talked to bruce my freshman year and i, I told him i wanted to be a manager and uh you know he was just like all right bill work the camps and we'll see what happens and uh, i worked the camps that summer Unfortunately, I didn't get the job. So that next year we're at uh, the rack for some high school games and I'm with uh, a, a very uh, successful high school coach up there. Governor Livingston High School coach Britt, who since passed away quite a few years ago now. But we're at the rack and I just mentioned to him, hey, coach, you know, I'd, I'd love to. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm at the hall. I'd like to be I'm trying to be a manager. I didn't get it this year. He's like, oh, Billy, I know. I know PJ well. I, I, yeah, PJ's right over there. Let's go talk to him. You want to be a manager? So we go over there at the hot dog stand and he introduces me. Hey, you know, boom, boom. PJ goes, all right, Billy, Monday morning, show up in the office. You got the job. I'm like, seriously? Holy cow. So here I am trying to do it the right way, you know, and then it just so happens that, you know, who you know and who knows you. Uh, but no, being a manager was great. I enjoyed it. Just the work at work ethic and, um, you know, being involved in practice and all our practices were closed. So, um, I'm sure my mother, wherever she is right now, she would be, uh, I think I spent a little too much time taking notes in practice and not enough time taking notes in class because I was really into the manager thing. And, uh, you know, it just taught me the work ethic and the, you know, we were traveling all over the place and, uh, you know, being on time and dressing the part PJ was always very, you know, how we travel through the airports, we dress a certain way. Uh, you act a certain way when we go to restaurants, you know, you guys are walking into these restaurants. Here's how you treat people. Um, you know, it was just, it was a great experience. And, and that's really how I got into coaches by, you know, being a manager. Uh, I know so many guys, I mean, Lawrence Frank, who's been in the NBA forever, who I think is a T-neck guy. T-neck high school uh, graduate, 1987. Absolutely. He was a manager for Bobby Knight. Yep. He was a manager for Bobby Knight and he used to work our camps at the hall. And, uh, yeah, he was a manager. I mean, you go right down the list. All these guys are managers. And um, it's a great way to get into it. But it, it really instilled the work ethic. And, uh, you know, I was lucky that I worked for somebody. I mean, PJ was very, 
greatest guy in the world, give you the shirt off his back, really sensitive guy, but he's got this hard shell. That, that's what the people see is the yelling and the screaming. And he was a tough guy. I mean, he was very demanding. He was very demanding. My Pete would tell you, Bruce would tell you, I'm telling you, but you know, I love that. I, you know, I love that. You know, I like that. I think, you know, the, the Knights and the PJs, I was talking about this with my dad today. He was talking about somebody who lives in this community in Jersey there who, who knows Bobby Knight is, you know, and I'm like, you know, we were talking today, like Bill, I don't, I don't know if Bobby Knight could survive today. I said, I know that I agree. And it's a shame because we need more Bobby Knights. We need kids need discipline, you know? And, uh, you know, that's why it was a great experience to be a manager. It taught me so much. It opened so many doors for me, uh, lifelong friendships, in uh, coaching, you know, I still have, you know, former players that come visit me in Florida. You know, when up in, I'm up in Jersey, I go see them. It's just you create these lifelong memories and lifelong friendships. And, uh, you know, it's, it's meant a lot to me in my career. And uh, it's instilled a good work ethic. And it's, it's a big part of who I am and who I've become. I like what you said about uh, PJ would talk to you guys, not just the managers, but the players and everybody about like going, you know, dressing right, going through the airport, how you treat people at restaurants and, and that the managers are a part of that. You're a representation of, of the team and the program, just as much as the players are and the coaches are, you know, that you're all part of that representation of the team, the athletic department, the university. And that, um, yeah. And, and Chris, that was a big thing with him. PJ explicitly said, I can hear his voice right now. He told all our players, he said, these are our managers and you guys are to treat them like they're on your level. You don't look down at these guys. We got the same gear that they got. We got the same meal money they got. That was PJ's thing. And those guys, it was the respect. And they treated us like we were one. And, uh, you know, to this day, and, and those guys, I still keep in touch with Terry DeHair, Jerry Walker. I mean, you know, these guys are legends at Seton Hall and that was PJ's thing. And, and he instilled the discipline. And I think when these guys were at the hall and they didn't understand why PJ was so tough and why he was so hard, but now that they have families and their years removed, I think they understand that, wow, this guy had my best interest in heart. You know what? This guy, he was right. He was right. And Brian, just again, Terry DeHair, Jerry Walker. I know you've probably heard those names again. They played on the great Seton Hall team, but they also played, for the great Bob Hurley at St. Anthony's University. Uh, okay, okay. I didn't, high school in, in I didn't know that connection. Before you ask your question, Chris, Bill, I, I want to jump on. Frank Martin's been a, a great friend of the show, great friend of ours. And what you just said is almost verbatim what he'll say publicly and what he'll say privately, too, about, I'm, yeah, we're trying to win basketball games and all that, yada, yada. But I'm trying to prepare these guys to be husbands and fathers down the line. And they may not understand at the moment, uh, but he is uh, he is just, in, in my opinion, the absolute best. And he is absolutely hard on those guys. There's no doubt about it. But there's a reason that he's hard on those guys. No, he, he is, um, Brian. And, again, he's out, of the, he's out of that mold, the old school night PJ mode, you know, the disciplinarian mode. He's a, he's a tough guy. You know, he came out of Miami. You know, he's got a tough background. But he's got his, his heart's in the right place. Like a lot of these guys, I don't think they understood, you know, what PJ, his heart was always in the right place. You know, even when I worked for Sully at UMBC, the same thing. You know, he told me when I got there, when I got down to UMBC, he said, Billy, this is not Seton Hall. It's not high D1, but we are going to treat it like it's Seton Hall. We're going to get the best gear for the guys that we can get. We're going to travel the best that we can get. We're going to stay in the best hotels we can get. You know, and we want these kids to have the best gear 
because it's important. It's all part of the program. It's all, it all comes to roost, how, how you do everything from the classroom to the, you know, it's just all, it all comes together. And guys like coach Martin, I mean, it's, it's, those guys are great. You know, if I had kids, I'd love for my kids to play for coach Martin or coach Knight or PJ because it instills, you know, a, a discipline. They might not understand it at the time and they might not like it. And I think a lot of that in society today, as we see as some of these kids, it's changed, you know, at all levels in school. I mean, all over, uh, you know, the, the disciplinarians are dinosaurs and it's kind of, you need that now, but mm -hmm. you know, that's why I was fortunate to work for guys like PJ because he was a big, he was a negative reinforcement guy. <laughs> you know, he, he was, it was negative reinforcement. You make a mistake once I'm not going to miss, you know, I'm not going to do it again. You know, I know I'm not going to do it again. My first day as a manager, I'm all pumped up. I got the towel over my shoulder. I'm holding the ball. We're running a drill and a ball goes, you know, out of bounds, whatever. And I made the mistake of running right through the drill, right in the middle of the drill, like ran across the court through the drill. PJ blew the whistle and he said, Billy, get the blank out of the drill. And I yelled, <laughs> top, of my, top of his lungs. And I was like, I got news for you. The rest of the time I was there, I never did that again. That's right. You know, and it was just, it was negative reinforcement, you know? And again, he's, he's the most sensitive guy. Like PJ is the best. I can remember going to a final four, walking in new Orleans. I'm in college. I flew down, you know, I'm on bourbon street. I'm walking on bourbon street. And all of a sudden I hear Billy, Billy. I'm like, who is that? And it was PJ. He was walking with Gary Williams and coach Calhoun. I'll never forget it. Now the all three of them were headed to Bible study, right? Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of four letter words. Yeah. So he calls me over and just, you know, on Bourbon Street and he goes, Billy, uh, how's everything going? You doing okay? You got checked into your hotel. Do you need any money? Do you need anything? I'm like, no, nah, coach, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm doing great. Thank you. I appreciate it. But that's just the way he was. You know, he was a tough guy, but the most sensitive guy. I keep in touch with him to today, I, you know, today and I could call him right now and he'd do whatever I needed. He's just a great guy, you know, and that's what I remember Lawrence Frank telling me that about Coach Knight because we were like, oh, my God, you work for Bobby Knight. That's that's unbelievable. Can you tell some stories? And he's like, yeah, Bobby Knight's the same kind of guy. He's a tough guy. But you know what, Bill, if you need a, a call for a reference or something, he's not going to fire out a letter. He's going to say, give me the guy's number. I'll make a phone call. I'll call Joe Smith for that job for you. You know, that's, that's the way these guys are, you know, these old school guys and uh, you know, the coach Martins, the coach, you know, PJs, the, the Knights, the Gary Williams. I used to love when I was at UMBC, we used to play Maryland every year as a guarantee game. And they used to hammer us by 20 every year. Uh, but I love Gary Williams. He was another guy, just a tough Jersey guy. And uh, you know, sweating through his suits, you know, just going crazy on the sidelines, but he was like, that kind of guy he was a disciplinarian type of guy i can remember you know him yelling at his assistants that they weren't sweating enough i remember jimmy patsos telling us that one game they were doing something and gary turned around them and said you guys aren't sweating enough <laughs> you don't sweat like that because you don't no. care no exactly right exactly <laughs> exactly i love gary i mean i, I love that those duke maryland games were unbelievable you know those games are tremendous you know my my favorite i'm going to tell a quick story here before i ask you a question coach because you just reminded me of it i feel like I, I, you probably hear this train going by in the background i think it's gonna go through my window uh <laughs> um, you just talked about an assistant coach moment it's a, a head coach turned around yelling at assistants we had a player at south carolina trey kelly who was senior year had an amazing senior year was the first team all sec and everything and he was going off on old miss and andy kennedy was the coach 
Okay. And I mean, I, Trey must have come down four straight possessions and just beat their whole team for a basket. And Andy Kennedy turned to his assistant coach at one point, put his arms out, and goes, <laughs> "What do we do?" <laughs> That's funny. Uh, coach, you you talked about you got really into the video. I was in the video uh, coordinator world. Um, what did you love about watching film on an opponent or doing the advanced scouting with the Liberty? Like, uh, what, what did you, you know, what, what, what fed your soul to it? I guess. Like what, what did you love about it? I just loved. it was almost like a chess game to me. You know, you're, you're watching these teams and, and you're scouting them and you're trying to get tendencies. Again, a lot of it's changed now. It's so different than when I was doing it. Like when I was doing it, we were handwriting these plays, you know, we were going to games and you were trying to write stuff down, you know, if you, you know, and then they did away with live scouting where you couldn't even go to a game live and scout. You just had to count on, you know, count on videotape. And that became hard because, you know, you get guys that would send you tapes that wouldn't have sound. You know, because they didn't want to get you to, they didn't want you to get the play calls. Yeah, absolutely. But, the, um, where the tape goes off and they, and they come, yeah. you know, yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, there's no sound it. on the tape. Like, you're supposed to, the rule is you got to send a tape with sound. So, you, you know, but I just loved watching the tapes and, uh, you know, I got so into it at Seton Hall because PJ was so into the video scouting. He was more um, in tune to what the other team was doing, almost more than what we were doing. He was so into the scouting. And that's where I got into it with him. Is just the scouting. I can remember doing a UConn edit and it was like a five minute edit. We do the offensive plays. We do some out unders and then we do individual clips of guys. And this is Ray Allen's senior year or his freshman year. I'll never forget it. We made the edit and PJ watches the edit and he goes, Hey Billy, uh, how about making an edit where Ray Allen like doesn't make every shot? Wouldn't that be nice if you did that? And I was like, okay, coach, I'll go back and get a few misses for you. But it was like, hey, you know, coach, he doesn't miss that much. No, he doesn't miss. He doesn't miss that much. He's like, look, can you make one where he doesn't miss. We don't want these guys to think we're playing, uh, you know. But uh, yeah, I just I got so into the video, and I could never get enough of watching tape and uh, game after game. And 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 then when I got into UMBC, I really got into it. Sully really gave me carte blanche to really get into the video stuff and. Um, you know, the scouting and he did, we, we try to divvy up the scouts between the th other three, you know, two assistant coaches, there was three of us. So he tried to divvy it up evenly, but normally I would get more of the scouts because it became my expertise and he knew that I knew what I was doing. And, uh, you know, and, and, and Sully was, he wasn't as into it as much as PJ. Sully was more into what we were doing. You know, whereas PJ really wanted to know what the other team was doing. And if you look back on PJ's years at the hall, uh, his trademark was defense was just hang your hat on the defense his lunch pail mentality and just defend and get kids, you know, tough kids from New York City or wherever and just we're going to defend, you know. But, uh, yeah, I just got so into it. And, uh, you know, it started back in the hall. Like I said, when we had that editing equipment and we were the guinea pigs for that. I just really latched onto that and I really enjoyed it. And I think if I got back in now and in some way, it's even more crazy because they do stuff on the bench at halftime. Now, when they're watching edits, you walk into the locker room, the coach is pulling up videotape at halftime. So uh, yeah, it was just, I really, I really enjoyed it. And uh, you know, it's just tough because as you guys know, you know, in the coaching profession, like we were talking earlier, you know, can you get me players? Are you a recruiter? You know, I go to a guy and go, I'm a scout, you know, you know, I'm a great scout. Yeah, that's great, Bill. But, you know, can you get me guys? I mean, 
you know, we need Jimmy's and Joe's, you know, I know, you know, you can scout and everything, but we got to have players, you know, but, um, you know, so it's different, but, you know, I enjoyed that. And like you guys know, doing the video stuff, I mean, you know, it's just, it was just fun. I mean, you just, to be at that level, you know, at that high D one level, I mean, you get a, a shot of that, you know, being a part of that, you know, and you don't, I mean, you're going into Madison square garden, I mean, you're playing all these arenas, you're trapped, you're always on national TV. It's almost like a drug. You're like, that's got me into, you know, and I had so many guys like, you know, I, I, you know, try to stay in division one. If you can, Bill, try to stay in division one. Yeah, I know. It's, I know, I know I want to stay in division one, but it's, you know, it's not easy, you know, um, you know, and, and that's why I got frustrated a little bit in division three because you're recruiting kids and there's no scholarships and it all comes down to like in February or March when they get their financial aid packages. And if FDU Florham's given Jimmy 10 grand and Scranton's given him 25 grand, guess what? Jimmy's going to Scranton, you know, because and I, I don't blame the father. I don't, I don't blame him. But at least in Division One, you're recruiting and it's all a level playing field. So, you know, I enjoyed that, you know, being around that level. And, uh, you know, and I parlayed that, you know, again, every job I've ever gotten at that level is a Seton Hall connection. Who knew, who knew me? A lot of people say it's who you know it's bit more so it's important is who knows you you know so i love how you put that and bill you're gonna about you're about to witness history here you know chris likes to ask me trivia questions on the air and let me just be honest i miss about 99 out of 100 i think that's about right i gotta go back and check the percentage <laughs> But I have a trivia question for one young chris de blasio you mentioned ray allen in that answer Chris, what town in South Carolina, I'll give you the money. He's from South Carolina. Of course, you know that. What town is Ray Allen from? He was born in the same town as Yankee 13-year veteran and left fielder Brett Gardner, and that's Holly Hill, South Carolina. Oh, was he born there? I believe so. He went to, he went to Hillcrest High School. Which is in what town? Which that's is the in one. the Burg, Spartanburg. No. Dalzell, South Dalzell. Carolina. Okay, I thought he was born in Holly Hill. I, uh, Holly Hill. All right, we'll have to effort that. While I'm asking this question, you go ahead and Google. I can I'd see say you. Google, Google it away. <laughs> yeah, so, all right, Bill, you know the name of the podcast is The Greatest Games Podcast. I know you sent in a game from back in 1999. We'd love for you to take us through that as your greatest game. We'll talk about that one a little bit as well. Yeah, that was um... – it was our first year in the Northeast conference. We had been in the big South conference when I first got to UMBC, we spent a year, they were there before I got there. And then when I got there, they were there for a year. And then we went to the Northeast conference and uh, it was our first year there. And remembering we were the new school in the league. And we started off that year in the league 15 and 0, which I think is still a record in the league there. Um, UMBC now moved on to the American East, but back then we were in the Northeast conference. So, uh, you know, we had some rivals with Monmouth. We had good games. Central Connecticut always used to give us trouble. They had a kid, Corsley Edwards, who was a Baltimore kid who used to eat us alive. We used to take so much heat in the papers for not recruiting the kid and stuff. But, um, yeah, so we started off 15-0 and that year. And regular season, it came down to us and St. Francis of New York for the regular season title. And we ended up playing them the last game of the year at our place at UMBC. And we ended up beating them to win the regular season title. I think we finished 17 and three, I think in the league that year. Um, and that was just a great game because that really put us on the map because UMBC had done nothing. You know, they had just recently gone division one 
late 80s, I want to say, maybe, and had really no history of any basketball success or anything. And we had gotten there. And like I said, Sully was five and 22 his first year there. And then I came down, we were five and 22 again. And then uh, we ended up leaving the big South just because the travel was so tough. We were the most Northern school and uh, it was just tough to travel. We we're going you know, the coast of Carolina one weekend, we're going to Charleston Southern. Then you're doing Asheville, you're doing, you know, Winthrop, you know, was, and we're all doing, we were doing bus trips. Like when we first got there, we're doing bus trips. Mm. So then, um, you know, Sully had, talked to the ad and said you know we're doing all these guarantee games we played like six guarantee games my first year at umbc and you know we got it the ad they finally understood that you know we got to start flying the games or if we want to win we got to start flying the games we can't be taking 10-hour bus rides so that's what we ended up doing but getting back to that game that was a great game because saint francis had given us problems um all year and they had some really good players and the coach of saint francis back then was ron ganulin who was a, he's a legendary basketball figure. He worked for Tark UNLV. And uh, I think he still works for St. Francis, New York. Now I think he, he helps out Glenn Breka, who's there now. Um, but he was a great guy. I used to love talking to him on the bench before the games, but uh, that was a great game for us because like I said, we were the newbie in the league and uh, we had a nice run in the league at the beginning. Like I said, we started off 15 and 0 and that game against St. Francis, New York was huge because I mean, our gym was sold out. We were able to sell out the game and it was a huge crowd and it was for the title in the league. And, uh, we had, uh, we had gotten, we had gotten good coverage from the newspapers. The Baltimore sun always gave us great coverage. We had, we had a beat writer that was assigned to us. Um, that had started that year. Um, Chris so that was like a turning point. Yes, absolutely. Chris Yule. Yep. Chris Yule is the guy. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's the kind yep. of research we do on this show. Yeah, Chris Shule, that was the guy. Yep, yep. Chris, he followed us. Yeah, yeah. So that that game was huge for the program because, like I said, they had no history of anything. And when we won the league that year, you know, we won the regular season title. You know, it was really big for us as a program. Um, you know, as a turning point for us because, like I said, you know, Sully's first two years there, we won ten games total, and in that year, I think we ended up you know, that year you. Uh, when we beat St. Francis, I think we ended up 19-9, maybe something like that. So we had flipped the whole thing. And, um, you know, again, to flip something like that, you got to have, you know, an administration that kind of backs you and understands that, you know, to do this, we're going to need some a little bit of help. You know, UMBC is a very good academic school. They want to be in Ivy League. And, um, you know, getting kids in, you know, we can get kids in. It's, we got to keep them, we got to get them through to school. You know, we got to get them, you know, we can get anybody in, but we got to get them through four years of college. So, you know, they were good in that regard. They understood how important the basketball program was in terms of the success of the school, you know, the publicity we could get. I mean, I don't think they understood that, you know, by winning a basketball game, you get, you know, coverage in the paper and you know, TV crews are there. I mean, you know, you can donate all your money to the physics lab and everything, but that's not, you know, and again, and you know, when we first got there, they kind of were, you know, the, the administration people across the way didn't really understand the importance of athletics. But then when we started winning, they saw how they could parlay the whole athletics thing into pushing the university forward and making it a really, you know, national university. So that game was, a, that's why that was the greatest game for me is because it was the turning point of the whole thing for us at UMBC. And uh, when they went on that run a couple of years ago and beat Virginia, 
um, a lot of, you know, myself and Sully and Doug and Randy, the guys I work with, John, the guys I worked with there, we kind of felt, you know, and the former players were there. I mean, my phone was blowing up that night because, you know, we, we felt like we had a little, you know, we weren't there that night when they beat Virginia, but we were, you know, we were part of the building block. And that's what yeah. I told all my guys, you know, we were the building block. I told all my guys, you know, my players, and, you know, I said, you know, you guys are the building blocks, man. Well, that game, we're reading the article that Chris Ewell wrote about that game in the Baltimore Sun because Brian can Google anything, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> he found the article online. I didn't even know they put online articles in that. I think it was eight, was final was 8166. Uh, that's right. That is how about that? Is that crazy? So you did have a little adversity, uh, you know, that always comes up when you're talking about games or championships or, or things you win. You had a, a Kerry Martin had to go to the hospital after an injection in his elbow, but you're the guy who led you in scoring and rebounding that game. Okafor, not a Mecca, but a, another Okafor. Kennedy. Yes. Kennedy. Kennedy out of Midwood, Midwood high school in the Bronx. Yep. He, um, he started, it says he started here. It was the original starting line at the beginning of the year, but then was suspended for a game and, and came off the bench for the rest of the year until this game. Yeah. What was, do you remember the, the decision-making process or the conversations that were had to inject him back into the starting lineup for this I game? Don't, I, I, I don't even remember what his transgression was, to be honest with you, so long ago. But Kennedy was such a good kid. I don't think it was that. It might have been a class thing. Who knows? A classroom thing. I don't know. But he was just a, you know, a six six kid built like Adonis. I mean, not an ounce of fat on him. And uh, I think he's the leading rebounder at UMBC. I think he's one of them um, in his career. Um, but yeah, he got back in that lineup and, uh, he was a, a huge part of that game. And, uh, you know, like I said, that was huge for us in terms of, you know, turning the whole thing around and, uh, you know, beating St. Francis. The only thing I, you know, at UMBC, we never could get over the hump and win the conference tournament. You know, we'd always lose in the semifinals and, you know, we'd always struggle, um, in the semifinals for some reason we can never get over the hump because you know we, we we should have gone to the tournament once or twice when i was there because we we were that good and at that level it's so frustrating on that low mm. to mid, mid d1 level because if you don't go to the tournament i mean your season it's just like hitting a button when you lose your last game you're done right you know, and you no, go like 17 and 2 yeah. in the conference yeah. and then you lose in the conference tournament and your yeah. season's over yeah it's over yeah, it's over. <laughs> now they've done it where if you win the regular season title, you get a you get an NIT bid. Right. Yeah. You know, but back then, I, and I can remember just you know being at the gas station, some innocuous place, and like people coming up, yeah, you guys had a great year, and I'd be like, you know, but, but it's over. I mean, we don't even get to play. You know, we had a great year, but you lose, and that's why that level was so hard. Where the you know the Seton Hall being around that. We just we were going to the tournament every year. I was there. You know what I mean? It was just a question of where we were being seated. And you kind of take it for granted. I've taken it for granted looking back years, having been at UMBC, that you know, when you're I was at Seton Hall during their glory years of basketball. I mean, I've got three Big East championship rings. I mean, you know, we just assumed every year, you know, we went to an Elite Eight when I was there, um, Sweet 16. I mean, we 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 won Big East titles. I mean. You know, it, it was just tough at the UMBC and at the low D1 level, like I was saying, is that if you don't win, you, you go to the, it's just and we should have won at least once or twice and we could just never get over that hump. Um, you know, and that's that's frustrating. That's why when they had their run uh, and beat Virginia, it was so cool because 
it brought back a lot of memories and a lot of my, you know, former players were texting, former administrators were calling and we're just sitting there watching that game in disbelief. And when they pulled it off, it, it just, you know, I told these guys, I said, you guys should be proud because you guys, you know, you didn't, you know, you weren't on that court tonight, but you can be darn sure that you were a part of that because you guys are a building block of that program and you should be proud of that, you know? And uh, that's why every year from now on until eternity, uh, I plan on being like, you know, members of the 72 Dolphins. So when that last 16 seed goes down in the tournament, I'm opening up a bottle of something and celebrating because I want UMBC to be the only school to ever do it. That's right. That's right. Well, you mentioned former players. So we'll, we'll end this show with one of our, it's, it's, it's my favorite question, but it's one that Krista Blasio put pen to paper on. So I'm going to get to ask it since I flipped the tables on him and we figured out, by the way, let's go ahead and revisit that because I, normally I'm wrong and not that I want to rub Chris de Blasio's nose in it or anything like that, but where did, uh, where he, Alan, where was he born? Chris de Blasio? He, he was actually born in California. He was an air force brat, but he did. It was Dallas, <laughs> South Carolina where he lived. Yes. Yeah, so he did not live in Holly Hill. I thought I had read that somewhere that he lived in Holly Hill, but I was, right. incorrect. I got the high school, right? Hillcrest high school. That you right. did. You did, which is no longer in existence and it's near Shaw air force base, which that would, that would make sense there. But Billy, you mentioned the former players. And so, the, to, to finish up the podcast, when they all those former players are doing their Bill Zotti impersonation, what would that one thing be that they think that you think they would say about you, or maybe one of those things that you just kept saying over and over and over again as a coach? As a coach, what would they say? Try to do it the right way. Can you try to do it the right way? Here's what I'm telling you. Can we just try to do it the right way? So I think that would be the big thing. And I'd also think they'd laugh since I was the guy in charge of the meal money on trips. They'd be like, they'd imitate Sully. They'd be like, Billy's got the money. Billy's got the money. Sully would always go, Billy's got the money. But we got off the bus right before we get off the bus. Sully would stand up and go, Billy's got the money. Billy's got the money. So the guy's like, Z, give us our meal money. Let's go. Give us our meal money. So, yeah, it would be do, just try to do it the right way. All right, let's try to do it this way. And, you know, this is funny. And the meal, meal money, money guy, I like that. The meal money. Yeah, the meal money. Yeah, oh, the meal money. Oh, man. Nobody ever forgets that guy's name. The meal uh, money. No, I know. It was so funny. Like, it, when I was with Pete at FDU, they were getting like six bucks for meal money. Six <laughs> bucks, Pete. The kid can't even get a happy meal for six bucks. <laughs> you know, I can remember being at the hall and going on those NCAA tournament runs. And I remember one year, I think I came home with almost $1,000 in meal money because I wasn't paying for anything because they were getting all the meals paid for. <laughs> So I was just pocketing the mill money. I, you know? ne I never quite understood that system too, because I would I would come home with <laughs> that I left with and I was at a belly full of food. Brian, your senior year, remember you had so much money left on your meal card at Capstone. We used to go to lunch every day, me and That's you. That's right, yeah. Because I didn't, you know, I was a worker. I wasn't a student, but he'd be like, dude, come to Capstone with lunch. I have so much money left over. I have to spend it. And Capstone, man, I had the best lunch ever. Right? Yeah, that, I had a great lunch in the dorm. Another podcast, but we'll, we'll, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up, Bill. This has been really a lot of fun. We really, really thank you a lot for uh, your efforts to come on this show. It's been really, really great to get to know you a little bit. Well, I appreciate you guys having me on. And again, I wish you the best of luck on the podcast. And, uh, you know, I appreciate you reaching out for me to come on. And uh, I really enjoyed it. Brought back a lot of memories and great times. And uh, as you guys know, you know, basketball is a great game. And it uh, it's nice to, 
reminisce and uh you know I, it's nice to you guys doing this podcast and i wish you guys the best of luck well we, we appreciate it we'll go ahead and, and wrap this one up uh, for my co-host chris de blasio i am brian rosefield and thank you for listening to this episode of the greatest games <laughs>